When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 149th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. The Wolf. And I will be joined, par usual, by my partner in crime from the East Coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And longtime listeners know that we are passionate about rock and roll. We love classic rock, hard rock, prog rock, heavy metal, early MTV, the stuff we grew up on in the 80s. And we like to compare bands that make it in the UK but don't in the US and vice versa. It's always an interesting dichotomy to us. And we just want to know everything, right? You want to know every great band, every member of every great band, all the albums, all the songs, who wrote them, where were they recorded, what do they mean? And it's really hard to know everything. Everybody's got bits and blind spots that they don't know anything about. Certainly, they've got bands and albums that they don't know everything about. So we're going to try this new segment that we call On First Listen, where we take an album that we have never listened to before, that maybe people have recommended or we've seen on lists as, this is the great top 10 all-time prog rock album, or this is the best album that so-and-so ever made. Maybe we just don't know it. Maybe we didn't hear it growing up. It wasn't on MTV, it wasn't on rock radio, and we don't know it. So we're going to do this on a somewhat regular basis where we pick an album that has been recommended to us or it's something that's been on our radar for years, and for whatever reason, we'd never gotten to it before. We never had a chance to listen to it. Of course, now with Spotify and streaming services, you can really listen to anything that touch your fingers. When we were growing up, someone had to have it. Either you had to buy it or a friend had to or an older brother or cousin. Your parents had to have it in their collection. If not you may not hear a lot of great albums out there. And we decided to start with a band that we don't know a whole lot about, and that's Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Despite the fact that we love Carl Palmer because he was in Asia and he was on episode number 80 of The Ugly American Werewolf in London talking about Asia and a little bit about ELP, we don't really know anything about Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. We know a couple of the radio hits they had in America, but we don't own any of their records. We didn't listen to them growing up. And we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Brain Salad Surgery. And of course, I'd seen it in the record stores for years. It has a very interesting cover, which we'll get into on the show. Never really knew what the meaning of Brain Salad Surgery was. We'll also get into that on the show. And there is one song on there that you know, but you probably didn't know the name. I know I didn't. It was played very well on classic rock radio, but I never knew what it was called. So this is our inaugural 
on first listen with Emerson Lake and Palmer's brain salad surgery. Now, before we get into it, a couple little bits of business. One, we always like to mention how proud we are to be members of the Pantheon podcast family, a network of about a hundred different shows, music related, not all rock and roll. There really is something in there for everyone and pop culture. Go to pantheonpodcast.com or follow at Pantheon pods. And we want you to go visit our killer sponsors, rarevinyl.com. Guys, I know a lot of you are record collectors out there, and rarevinyl.com has over a quarter of a million items in stock. They've been doing this for 40 years. They take incredible care to collect these things, to purchase them, and then ship them all over the world wherever you are, get it to you in pristine condition. So if you're an Emerson, Lincoln Palmer fan looking for first printing of brain salad surgery or trilogy or Tarkus or one of their great albums, or maybe a single, or maybe a rare import that you just can't seem to find anywhere else, go to rarevinyl.com. And then whatever you buy, you can save 10% with the code ugly. Now that's a one-time code. So don't just get one six quid single Go get something that's rare. Go get something that's hard to find. Holidays are coming up. Get yourself something and then say, honey, wrap this up and put it under the tree for me, right? Rarevinyl.com. Use code UGLY. Save yourself 10%. I know they've got some great Emerson, Lake and Palmer stuff. And back to the band. Greg Lake is a little bit of a pariah in our midst as far as we're big Asia fans. And the whole Asia in Asia experience, which was the big satellite broadcast on MTV in December of 1983, well... It wasn't great because he doesn't sound exactly like John Wetton. Now, that's not his fault. John Wetton got kicked out of the band because he was having issues. So they still had to do this show. And Greg really helped him pull off in like five or six weeks. He's really a professional rock star for helping that happen. But because it didn't sound right, I was like, ah, Greg Lake, whatever. Well, this, well, listening to this album gives me a better appreciation of Greg as a singer, as a songwriter, and as an instrumentalist. And everyone, Keith Emerson, Carl Palmer, and Greg Lake really shine throughout this. It's a bit of an undertaking. You got to dig into this. You got to listen very intently. It's more classical, more jazzy, and more of an epic than your typical rock album. But it's got some real highlights in there, and we're going to go track by track here. So this is our inaugural On First Listen with Emerson Lake and Palmer's Brain Salad Surgery right here on The Wolf. So kind of a new, something we have been thinking about for a long time here, Jackson, mm-hmm. is to try this thing where we listen to an album for the first time. Something that either we've been curious about for a long time or someone had recommended to us. We're like, okay, yeah, it's not really my thing, but one day I'll get to it. <laughs> but, you know, for guys who want to know everything and, and all the minutiae details, it's easy to do stuff on bands that you know and you love. And it's like, maybe I haven't heard everything from the Rolling Stones back to front, but I know it all pretty well. So you do in a rare one of theirs or one of those that we don't know very well, that would be easy. But to take something that we've really never listened to and maybe even by a band that we don't know very well, it's a little bit of a challenge. Yes. To me, it's like going through this record, It was it's almost like trying to learn a new language or listen to something in another language that... You know, if you if you know how to speak English, Spanish is not so bad. It's kind of the same. French, okay, I can get that. But this is like trying to learn Dutch. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> something. Yeah, something that's not. It's not what I'm used to. It's not what I usually like. And so it's it was definitely one of those things. Probably if we had not done this show, I don't know if I ever would have listened to this record back to front because it's just so so different to me. Uh, I know. I'm with you there. And what I was going to say was, I mean, kind of to start. 
the question, I guess, is, you know, how did you hear about Emerson Lake and Palmer? How did you hear about brain salad surgery? The the track that everybody knows, but no one knows the name to. Yeah. <laughs> That's you've heard on the radio every, you know, correct. every few days on classic rock radio. That is correct. And you're like, oh, well, play that Welcome Back My Friends song. What do you think the name is? I don't know. Show that never ends. Come inside. Come inside. Something like that. No, no. Yeah. That's not it. It's it's called Carnival First Impression Part Two. I'm sorry, sorry, Carnival Nine First Impression Part right. Two. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the only song that I had ever heard on this one. And so, but I know, but I know it's a huge record. I know it's a huge prog rock kind of cornerstone of how that was that was built. And I know Emerson Lake and Palmer are regarded as top-notch musicians top-notch composers so this was one of those things where let's just put your head down and get into this thing yeah and i mean this time 1973 because it comes out late 73 this is a pretty classic time for british prog rock as far as you know pink floyd's releasing dark side of the moon genesis is releasing foxtrot Mm-hmm. And and Emerson, Lake and Palmer are releasing their fourth album here, Brain Salad Surgery. Um, after a little bit of a success on Trilogy, their third album, they went and bought an old theater that could be their rehearsal space in the headquarters. They started a new record label, Manticore, so they wouldn't have all the pressures uh, of, of Atlantic, you know, yelling down their throats or whatever. And they could help other artists they like get signed and things like that. So they're obviously doing well. I think their tour from Trilogy did very well, which gave them the opportunity to buy the theater and buy themselves some time to put into this, not to mention buy all this crazy new equipment for Keith Emerson to play with. Yeah, that's that's one of the things to me that I didn't really realize. I mean, it's it's three guys. I knew what they did. I didn't realize that Emerson was basically the composer, the driving force on the actual putting the music together. I know Lake did the... Um, the did lyrics. the vocal and Carl Palmer. I mean, I'm sorry, the lyrics, correct. And Palmer did some of the arranging. Uh, and definitely, I would imagine that even though it says music by Emerson, he had to write his parts. There's no way he, you're making that up. Like he's just grooving with what you're playing. But what I didn't know is I thought Tommy Lee was cool in what was that? 89 when he did the spinning drum kit and going upside down. Uh, it might've been 87 even. Oh, yeah. You know, in that point in time, apparently yeah. Keith Emerson had a suspended right. grand piano that did about the same thing in 1973. Crazy. So yeah, they, this, this show was off the wall and the other thing i didn't know is that is that palmer had a two-ton drum kit that was built by british steel and that's it, it just this massive undertaking to get this thing from point a to point b yeah and it spun around too right carl's yeah. kit would spin around <laughs> as well you know so they were really taking this seriously and so but then they they broke up at the end of the 70s obviously and we know carl palmer from asia right so we didn't really grow up listening to emerson lake and paul because they had been gone for a while this was their big song lucky man was also obviously mm-hmm. pretty big they play that on the radio but this is a big song but nobody knows what the title of it is <laughs> and they've been gone for a while you know so we don't really know what they are plus this is thinking person's music right and that's that's never going to be popular with most of america right that's that's not no. going to get you on mtv and things like that however the cover we have to talk about a little bit here. yeah let's let's start with that yes uh, let, let's start because i'd seen that for years right mm-hmm. you go into the record store you flip through stuff i don't know who these emerson lake and palmer guys are tarkus okay that's kind of a cool cover it's like an armadillo that's really a tank i kind of like that what is this 
what is this? So it's basically like it's a it's a skull, like a mechanical thing, but it's over a beautiful woman's face mm-hmm. done by none other than H.R. Geiger, mm-hmm. the German artist who, I think he's German, I would say he's most famous for the design of Alien, the movie Alien, right? Correct, which I didn't know at the time. Even looking at this, I didn't, I'm like, wow, that looks a lot like Alien. And sure enough, yes, he did Alien. And I think he also did uh, at least one of the Danzig covers from like the late or early 90s. And it's kind of got that same Alien look to it. So it's very dark, mm-hmm. uh, very right. cool to look at. And it doesn't say, it says ELP on it, but it, no, nowhere does it say brain salad surgery there and and maybe we need to talk about that for a minute yeah Um, yeah a couple things to talk about there yeah yeah and there's a there's another thing on the cover that i never saw until it was pointed out to me in making this right right yeah making this episode yeah Yeah, so okay so we're gonna have to get a, (laughs) a little just a little dirty here guys usually we don't go blue on this show but it's not our fault this is for art's sake this exactly. is descriptive it's, you know it's historical and we have we're, we're kind of compelled to talk about it here so what we're talking about is <laughs> so you maybe you want to start with the you maybe want to start with the original the original title, what was the original title? title tell me what the original title was there Jackson. the original working title was whip some skull in ya and that is a euphemism for the a sexual act that a woman performs with her mouth Let's fellatio say, as the fellatio, italians correct. call it yes correct and apparently and i i had thought about this before is it whip some skull in them or whip some skull at em? uh i thought it was in you but i could be wrong but that's that's a you know we're paraphrasing here okay but there's a there's a dr john song that references brain salad surgery giving you a little brain salad surgery and that's where they got this from it's basically the same thing we're talking about it we're talking about the same thing yeah that was his his big song I was in the right place, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it must have been a wrong time. That was a great song. I never really picked that part out of it because mm-hmm. I can't always through his thick accent there. I can't always <laughs> tell what he's saying, you know. But yeah, a little brain salad surgery. Okay, so that's that's what it means. And then yes, if you look at the plus, it was it was also made into a gatefold that you could open like two doors open in the middle right. and open that mm-hmm. way, right? So it kind of had the line through the L and the ELP and then up through the middle of the skull, which would reveal the woman. Now, on the bottom of the skull and mechanical part, there's a big, thick, we'll call it a beam. It's kind of a cylindrical beam going up. You, and you then, could say it's a shaft. It's light. a shaft. There you go. It's a shaft. That's right. <laughs> and then apparently you could see the head of the shaft if you know what I'm saying out there, guys, the top of the shift mm-hmm. right under the woman's face. Well, if they give it to the, they give it to the record company, they say that is pornographic <laughs> and we are not going to release it. So they go back to Geiger and say, okay, you need to take this out of here because we can't put it on the record. He's like, nope, that's my art and I'm not changing it. You can take it or you can leave it, period. So they had to go to some British artists to kind of airbrush it out. So there's not the tip of a cock in the middle <laughs> I made you spit your water, man. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That almost went all over the electronics here. That would have been great. Uh, 
So that's not like in the middle of their cover, you know? So it's kind of a, it's whited out and there's kind of, you know, stuff around it that if you look really hard, you might be able to make it out. But I'll, I'll tell you now that it's been pointed out to me, it's a lot easier to see and how they even yeah. got that. Yeah. How they got that out to the record company or out to the stores in 73 is, uh, is pretty impressive. Shocking really. Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> It is impressive. And then it's also kind of like a Led Zeppelin Houses of the Holy thing in that there was a song brain salad surgery that they wrote kind of at the end of the sessions that they did not put on mm-hmm. the original record, you know, along with another one that had a, the name is longer than the song. It's when the apple blossoms bloom in the windmills of your mind, I'll be your Valentine. Okay, guys. <laughs> All right, just calm down. All right, we know you're so smart and everything, but just <laughs> take it easy. <sighs> but all right, but so, but I mean, this went gold in America back mm-hmm. when gold was still as, as high as you could get, you know, it was before platinum was created, uh, went gold in Britain. And I think that the British press took to it more at the beginning, like, oh, look at what these boys can do. Whereas in America, they're like, what the hell is all this? You know, you're you're kind of all over the place here. This is kind of ridiculous. I think it has aged very well. I think in retrospect, when people look back at it, they're like, okay, look at what they were doing here. Look at how Emerson incorporated all this new technology, like the mm-hmm. Moog Apollo, you know, that nobody else had, but that they could afford to make all these great sounds. Did he... He was instrumental in in designing that, right? Or he had some hand in that. Like I think he had one of the first ones, or the first. He had one. the first one, I think. Okay. Yeah, and it looks it just looks monstrous. It's probably you know twelve feet tall. Stories. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> how do they get it in an atom? Must have taken five big strong guys. You know, I I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's impressive. Uh, and then he has to have all his other mini mogs and all the other oh, stuff shit. all around him, right? Yeah. So I mean, you have to be impressed by the talent of the group. Mm-hmm. Of course, we love Carl Palmer. He had been an Atomic Rooster before that, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown, which we all know by fire. And of course, Greg Lake was the lead singer bass player in the original version of King Crimson, mm-hmm. who you think Jackson might be another candidate for on first listen, maybe. I think that's a good idea. I think that's another one where, uh, you know, huge footprint that we are not super familiar with. Exactly. You know, so, uh, and then obviously we know he did the Asia in Asia of December of 83 filling in for John Wetton. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how he came of first came on our radar, but this is considered, I mean, look, Carl had writing credits on the other ELP records leading up to this. He really doesn't get any here except for some arrangement stuff and the percussion movement in Takata, which is the second song. He didn't really get any writing credit, but he still says that this is his favorite ELP record. So by that recommendation, I felt, well, if Carl says so, we should probably give it a look-see. Mm. And and I, I think it is what we were talking about before. There's no way that that Emerson came to him with the with the drum parts. I don't I don't believe that. I mean, I, he it may have been a deal where, you know, the the keyboard stuff was already or the the skeleton was already there, and then he filled in. But there's there's no way there's no way anybody else than a drummer wrote these parts. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, Greg Lake, as had been the case previously, he produced it. But they had a Chris Kimsey as their engineer who would go on to do some production work with our favorite, the Glimmer Twins, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. They recorded it at Olympic, which is amazing, you know. 
Zeppelin, all the great people who have recorded Olympic over the years, Ad Vision mm-hmm. also, and they mixed it in air. So they were obviously pretty <laughs> big time, pretty successful to be able to afford to do all this. Yeah. And that, that's one thing I didn't really realize either is how big they were at that point in time to command all this stuff, to leave the record label and start their own and even pick up some other people to, to jump on that bandwagon. Yeah. These guys were at the top of their game in uh, 72, 73. Yeah. And doing big tours, arena tours, you know, mm-hmm. headlining. I'm like, I had no idea. Was lucky man yeah. that big of a hit. I guess it was, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think for those, those who appreciate this kind of, this kind of music, the prog rock, people this is pure prog this is what you would ask for if you were looking for something like this like it, it, who is the top of the mountain it's got to be elp is up there on right Mount rushmore that's right probably just yeah. probably just one of the heads is all three of them because you can't <laughs> have but you know that's right or no one of the heads is the the hr geiger head and everyone knows exactly who you're talking about <laughs> you know and then king crimson might have the dude screaming on court yeah. of the crimson king <laughs> yes would have i don't know what they would have Tales from Topographic Oceans. What would be the good yes? Yeah, maybe. The world there from the Topographic Oceans. Or no, from uh, Fragile. The world from Fragile might not be bad. Anyway, we're not melding that, so you don't have to worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, this is Carl Palmer, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. 
let's get into the first song jerusalem Mm -hmm. which of course they took they lifted the lyrics from william blake uh an 18th 19th century english poet who i know you and i studied quite a bit while we were in college correct would also would often recite it from memory goodness gracious come on (laughs) if you're trying to get to america you gotta dumb it down a little bit there's only two things i know about william blake one is susan sarandon quoted him in bull durham when she was having a fight with kevin costner he's like what do you mean william blake she's like i mean william blake he's like who are you like what do you do do you have a job who dresses you i mean do you think this is a little excessive for the carolina league the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom, William Blake. What, William Blake? William Blake. What, William Blake? William Blake! What do you mean, William Blake? I mean, William Blake! Who are you? I mean, do you, do you have a job? I teach part-time at Alamance Junior College. English 101 and beginning composition. That's the only time I ever heard about it. But then when I moved to London... My favorite place to be in London is Primrose Hill, which is right just north of Regent's Park. Mm. Just north of Regent's Park. And the zoo is in Regent's Park. And there's all these great places to be in Regent's Park. Just north of that is a smaller park called Primrose Hill. And it is a hill. It goes way up there because London's fairly flat. Mm-hmm. But then uh, there's this great big spot, and I would walk over there most every day. I'd walk the dog over there a lot. I would listen to podcasts over there, get my steps in. And at the top, there's kind of this circle you're circular you know stones and it has you know a quote by william blake where it was i have conversed with the spiritual son i saw him on primrose hill they have that etched up there and so anyone can go see it great views as you look south you can see down towards the river you can see the london eye you can see the shard you can see everything down there uh, and so it's just a kind of a great vantage point. And, and of course, you're looking over Regent's Park as well. It's pretty great. And I would go there a lot. And so that, those are my two associations with William Blake, other than now this song, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which was also adapted by a 1916 hymn by Sue, Sir Hubert Perry. And of mm-hmm. course, we both knew that before we listened to, or before we did research for the show. Correct. What am I, an idiot? Yeah. So Don't answer that. The opening is very proggy by Emerson. I mean, this is like just straight out of the gate, like you know what you're getting into. Right. Even though it sounds, it sounds, cl- I mean, it's okay. So the, the title is Jerusalem. I didn't realize this was a big time. This was a big song in England, like almost the national hymn. Mm-hmm. Or, so I think when they did this, there was a little bit of backlash, like, you know, what, what are you doing? You're taking this and making it commercial. But so, I mean, nothing, I never knew that before. But so it starts off, it does sound very church-like, but then you've got Palmer in the back who's just wailing on the drums. So those two things, they go nicely together, but it's, it's just, it kind of lets you in on what you're in for on this deal. Yeah, the, they chose Jerusalem as the first single, and it was released about a week before the album was released. Mm-hmm. But because of that, Jackson, because it was like the national hymn, and they're turning into that ghastly rock and roll, uh-huh. although I don't really call this a rock and roll album, to be honest with you. 
Uh, there's some elements of rock in here, but this is more prog, jazz, classical. Yeah. It's, it's a lot closer to classical than it is to rock and roll, if you ask me. I mean, there's really there's really hardly any guitar in this. That's right. That's right. In yeah. fact, and it's and the guitar is played by Greg Legg. He's a bass player. He's also a pretty good guitar player. Mm-hmm. But he's more of a strummer than a whaler. And the BBC Bandit. BBC banned it from the radio, and that was really okay. the only station. they had. I think even pirate radio was gone at that point. Maybe you could get it from another country or something like that, but it's not going to be played on BBC, so it kind of gets shut down. Now, in America, well, of course, they, they played other songs on the radio. So then my question is, why did you why did you release this as a single? Like, did you not know this was going to happen? That's odd to me. I mean, you're touching the nerve here and not really the way to sell your record. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe they thought uh, people have uh, have gotten past that or like, oh, see, people know it. So we'll go ahead and put it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're not exactly the United States of America. You're talking about Jesus. Shut that down. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> that way, you know, at least not all of them. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's short. It's not even three minutes. Mm-hmm. It's a hymn. Yeah. But it's a proggy hymn. But it kind of kicks you off like, okay, this is the direction that we're going. It was arranged by the three of them, but the lyrics are William Blake. And then the second one, Takata, mm-hmm. again, very highbrow here. An adaptation of Alberto Ginastera's first piano concerto, the fourth movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, another one we used to listen to quite a bit oh in college yet yeah, we would go out and get a case of bush light <laughs> and then listen all the make time sure it's, make sure it's the fourth movement please thank you exactly you know i don't have time to listen to that dreaded third movement <laughs> just the fourth movement please <laughs> but this is a little dark this this kind of fits the album cover a little bit better i feel mm-hmm. like. and it's it's got some it's totally instrumental so again that's not something that we're used to you know other than you know a minute and a half two minute maybe you know guitar and drums instrumental yeah about the 430 mark it it uh it gets it kind of changes it gets dark and you don't know what's going on there's the the phaser stuff at about the three minute mark yeah he's having a good time with the uh with his new toy the moog apollo no doubt about it it's cool yeah there's all sorts of space age sounds in there but you got to give Carl some credit on these drums mm-hmm. right now. The, the drums and the percussion throughout this are pretty cool, but honestly, it's hard to listen to at, at some times. And then once you get towards the end, the computerized bits that are on there mm-hmm. again from Keith's new toys, they were likely super cool and groundbreaking in 1973, but now it's, it's not quite, the same it's like yeah those are a little dated it sounds like 2001 a space odyssey and not in a good way yeah because <laughs> 2001 was 22 years ago and it wasn't that great <laughs> So you wonder too, if you were sitting there listening to this live, and that was one of the other things too. They they wanted to make a rec, make an album that they could play live, right? And so to see it played live, it must have been something to behold in 1973. You've never seen anything like this, and I think that 
The other thing is, and we'll get into this later, that the Karn Evil was actually something else before. It was like Gantis 9 or something. Right, out of a mythical planet or whatever. Something. So this kind of goes along with that. Like this, you know, we're, we're having an outer space adventure here. Yeah, you're right. No, and the previous album trilogy, they'd used like 24 tracks and they tracked all sorts of stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Yes, it makes amazing music, but it's very hard to recreate live. And I also, from what I understand about ELP, obviously I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but they were much better live than they ever really were captured on the record. Mm, okay. Right? Like their records maybe didn't sell through the roof, but to see them live was really something probably because the three of them together are such fantastic musicians and you mm-hmm. give them a chance to you know space out and and really jam and stuff they could do some really killer things so you're right they decided hey let's do something we can play the whole thing live but but this one is i mean he emerson must be jumping back and forth between different <laughs> things on this you know and and it it when i when when you go and you watch a classical performance like with an orchestra as we've done a million times they all have music right you're looking at music they follow it correct yeah and when you get to the end of the page you turn it you go to the next one how they do this without music i have no idea no clue how you would memorize something this i mean if you got three chords a that's a, easy a, a, b, b, okay good we got that but to do this out of out of your head no idea how this works yeah and seven and a half minutes is a long time for all this spacey bloop bloop kind of computerized stuff and there's no there's no there's no beat to it like there's no there's nothing right. to fall back on like you know sometimes like if you get lost you're like okay i, I can i know what the drummer's doing Mm-mm, you're on your own you got three parts playing independently and good luck so i admire them mm. for reworking something that existed into something really cool using all this great technology but it is yeah. It's not something you're going to tap your toe to and listen. I mean, it, it, you like sit, you sit and scratch your chin, like, "Hmm, <laughs> listen to what they're doing here," you know. <laughs> but I, I just, I don't see myself listening to it a lot. This certainly not outside the context of the record. C- correct. This isn't. This whole thing is an investment. Like you have to say, I mean, what is it, forty something minutes long? You have to say to yourself, "Okay, I'm putting this thing on, and for forty two minutes, I'm going to listen to every every note that they're playing." This is not a casual, like, you know, you're in the car and Tokata comes on and you're like, yeah, I'll listen to this while I'm doing that or mowing the lawn or whatever. This is, I mean, I listened to this probably two or three times just laying on the floor with my eyes closed. Is that right? Yeah. Just trying to focus on like, Correct. God, what all are they doing now? Yes. Yeah. Right. And the different things and the, and the sound effects firing and the drums yeah. coming in. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's crazy. So then you, we scoot along here mm-hmm. to still you turn me on. Now, mm-hmm. this is a very big departure from everything else on the record. This is your, yeah, this is your, I need some sherbet here to cleanse my palate a little bit. Because that was <laughs> right. a lot. That was a lot to take in. Yeah. And I think they also felt like, all right, we need something to, to balance out all this crazy stuff we're doing here. So this is kind of a ballad. It's acoustic. It's almost kind of a magical renaissance feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's also very short. It's it's under three minutes. And Greg wrote and did the music for this song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the only one that he did on his own on the album. I, now, it doesn't fit with everything else they're doing on the album, but it's a very nice song. Cover, you 
Yeah, and I can't believe that. I think it was slated or thought of as being a single, but there's yeah. no Carl Palmer on this, so maybe that's why they said we're not doing that. But yeah, it, it's a definitely a departure. It, it's kind of what you need, though, at this point in time. If you went into another one like Tokata, there's your head would explode. Like you can't. You got to breathe for a minute. And to me on this one, the bass is cool. I think with Emerson and Palmer in the band, Greg Lake doesn't get enough. He doesn't get enough accolades as being a bass player. So he kind of gets to flex out a little bit here. And his voice is awesome. I mean, just kind of like John Wetton. Like you've heard his voice a million times, but if you really listen, you're like, yeah, he really can belt this out. He is a, he is a very strong vocalist yeah, and a good bass player and a solid guitar player and, and songwriter, producer. He's a talent. There's no yeah. doubt about it. You know, you couldn't be in King Crimson and Emerson Lake and Palmer if you weren't. Right. But I, I think you're right between there not being Carl Palmer on this track and the fact that you know, your first single is usually what you use to get people to buy the record, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what the album's all about. Come get it. But because this was so different than everything else that they did on the record, they say, no, this is not a good representation of what the record is. Maybe, yeah. If you, if you led with this and people bought this, bought the record because of this, they would have said, now, wait a minute. That's <laughs> the rest a- of this is crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Because this is like, this could be a, a very nice pop song, a love song, if you will, something light. And then you hear the rest of this, you're like, ah, I should have just bought the single, you know? So <laughs> I think that had something to do with it. But yeah, the, the Jerusalem single got dropped by the BBC. So it's like, okay, well, now you don't even have a single. So <laughs> get to work on the next one. But I do like this. And you know what? We heard some similar sounds, the magical Renaissance sounds from Genesis at the time. Mm-hmm. Also mixing in some of the keyboard stuff. So, I, you know, I, I, I like it. I like, never heard it before. Yeah. Thought, you know what? That's that's a nice song. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and something to something to kind of tide you over. Because I don't, I think that they, did they start with the, what would become Carnival and they just built everything around it? Or did they say... We're just going to put, we're getting, we need a couple more singles to throw on here to make this a longer record. Yeah, no, so I think Carnival, that whole suite was the main thrust of the album. Like, okay, we know this is going to be kind of our signature on this album. Mm-hmm. It was so long at, uh, you know, more than 25 minutes. Uh, if you take all four parts, 16 <laughs> minutes, call it 21 minutes. Carry yeah, it's nine. like 30 minutes. Okay. It's like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. That doesn't fit on a side of an LP because they probably, if it was 22 minutes or something like that, they might've just put it all on side one, mm-hmm. but I guess they didn't want to start it on side one and then have to finish it on side two, just a little bit. So they gave you the other songs, some of which could be singles first. Mm-hmm. And then the last song on the first side is Carnival 9, First Impression Part 1, all eight plus minutes of it. But before we get to that, we have to talk about the shortest song on the album, mm-hmm. Benny the Bouncer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a comedy song. Correct. Yeah, it, it does not fit with anything else. Again, we've switched gears. I think that uh, Lake is, he sounds a lot like Roger Daltrey on this one. He's got, mm. you know, the, uh, just kind of, he's he's yelling more than he's singing. Uh, and he kind of, you know, he's getting into the, uh, more of the slang terms. Yes. Yeah. And I thought this was really weird. I'm like, this doesn't fit. It's weird. But then when you go into the rest of this, and you think about, okay, this is supposed to be, now we've imagined, we've reimagined the space adventure to a carnival, right? Right. To me, this is almost like the, the intro to the carnival. This is a little, like a little like preview or coming soon or something like that. So when I think about it that way, it actually makes more sense to me. 
He's slashing granny's face up, giving off a chance. He's so you back up pieces, all full is an off a quid. He thought he was the meanest until he met with Savage Sid. Nasty he was a greaser with some nasty boots. He pulled a pint of Guinness of a Benny You know, now that you say that, it does make sense to me, too. Like, if you're entering the carnival, you got to have someone at the gate to keep the rowdies out, right? Or to collect the money or whatever. So Uh you have to have a bouncer. And Mm -hmm. yeah, Betty was the bouncer at the Palais to dance. He slashed your granny's face up, given half a chance. (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) He thought it was the meanest until he met with Savage Sid. And then they talk about how Savage Sid pour a pint of Guinness over Benny's boots, and then they get into it. Sydney grabbed a hatchet, pair it in Benny's head. This is the end of a Ted like the Teddy Boy. But, you know, I guess <laughs> it's just funny. They try to stick together all those bits that would fit, but some of it was missing, and part of him arrived too late. So now he works for Jesus at the bouncer at St. Pete's Gate. <laughs> this is That's very British to me. This is very British. And again, Genesis, and I know Steve Hackett did kind of comedy stuff, bits on, on some of their albums in the mid-70s here. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really work on straight rock, but you've kind of got this license with Prague. You're already so out there anyway. Why not have a bit of fun? Right. And and if you're if you're trying to do a, a, a concept that people buy into, then yeah, this this is could just be part of it. And you just need to putting this record on, you're going for a ride. And you just need to hold on and this is part of it. Exactly. Exactly. Now the interesting part to me is that Pete Sinfield, who did the lyrics for Kim Crimson. Again, mm-hmm. King Crimson, maybe that's something we should explore on first listen. Okay. He did the lyrics for this. And I guess he was working on a solo album. And Greg's like, hey, tell you what, you can't get that solo album released. We've got this Manticore label. You can release it here, but I mean, while I have help, you here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> why don't you come give me some lyrics for this silly song about Benny the Bouncer? So, uh, you know, you're right. It does kind of fit with the whole weird carnival thing. Mm-hmm. Stand alone. It's completely odd, but this yeah, is album oriented rock. This is, you, you don't just hear three minute single. You're hearing this whole story put together. So in the context of the record, it, it has its place. Mm-hmm. So then maybe you go back to the whole Manticore Records deal. If this, if they were trying to get this exact thing done on Atlantic, would they have said, you are out of your mind, we are not doing this? Right, probably so. Yeah, I mean, there's no, so you, the first, the single you want to put out is the English National Anthem. You've got this other one that you're not really super happy about. And then you've got this 38 minute <laughs> suite of stuff. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't smell sales on any of this. I don't either. <laughs> no, seriously though yeah i mean it's it's yeah it, it's it's odd you know but somehow it all works right you get to carnival first impression part one damn near nine minutes long again peter sinfield i think helped with some of the lyrics i mean look keith emerson is a real talent to me he is and it starts with the part you're familiar with in part two or at least it sounds similar to it right like You've heard the part two on the rock radio. This is similar. And he does the start, the come inside, come inside bit a little bit. But then you hear some electric guitar from Greg Lake, which I knew Mm -hmm. him as a bass player. And it's sure he can strum some chords, but he's playing some lead guitar in this bit. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those ones where if you heard this, you're like, oh yeah, I know this song. And it could be because you think it's the second one because there are similar themes. Eh, no, we're missing something here. There are, what did I say? About about the 530 mark, it starts to get into more of what you've 
you get more of the second part like that sounds mm-hmm. more familiar but yeah you're right there is guitar part here and so this sounds a little more like what we're used to and i mean again i don't think lake gets enough credit with the other two guys as being a musician Yeah, and obviously Keith deserves a lot of credit as a composer, as you know, the creator of these instruments that have changed the world and playing all this crazy stuff and coming up with uh, these sounds. There's no doubt about it. He, he makes all the music, so he deserves a lot of that credit. And we like Carl Palmer because still like in his 70s, he could still kill it on the drums. Can you imagine how good he must have been in his 20s? You know, <laughs> unbelievable is how good he was. You know, so yes, but Greg Lake, any singing lead, he switched from bass to, to guitar. It's cool. And, and, and you're right. You know, in the middle, it kind of changes into something like, okay, I have heard of this. Is this the hit? No, it's not. But it's it's kind of the beginning of this big suite, this very proggy mm. suite of the evil carnival, you know, where odd things are happening. And we'll get into some of the other stuff here later. Yeah. But so there's some lyrics on this one. They're very similar to the lyrics on part two, which we're about to get to. The third part is pretty much just an instrumental, uh, which is the second impression, not the third part, the second impression, because the first impression has parts one and part two, of course. Right. Uh, and, and then the third impression, well, okay, then we get into some lyrics that we'll talk about. But so that's your first side, right? Jerusalem, Takata, Still You Turn Me On, Benny the Bouncer, Carnival Nine, First Impression Part One. Do you think a lot of people couldn't wait to flip it over? You think a lot of people are like, oh my God, what the hell did I just buy? There were probably people that said that, and now that I'm thinking about this, it's it was it would have been very strange to have the original vinyl and have this. So you're looking at it and you see, okay, I've got this thing coming up. It's got four different three movements or three impressions, four different parts. Okay, but you only put the first part on the first side. So after this, now I have to stop, get up, flip go it. over to the hi-fi, flip it over, and start again. I don't know. I think if you bought in on the on impression part one, you're like, well, let's flip this over and see how this ends. Yeah, yeah. If you dug that, then obviously like, wow, okay, yeah, let's let's flip that over. Right. But I bet there are some people like, oh my god, what did I just buy? <laughs> what I need, a, I I need a cigarette and a walk around the block now because yeah, I just exactly. got beat up for half an hour. And then what's funny is, I guess when they first put it out on CD, they kept the break between part one and part two. But oh, then on really? like on subsequent okay. like releases, they they squished them together. Mm-hmm kind of the way they were, you know, God intended it, if you will, or the way Keith Emerson intended it. (laughs) Whomever you worship is fine with me. (laughs) Hi, this is Steve Hackett, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. But look, this is the hit. You know, Carnival 9, First Impression Part 2, this is the hit. This is what you hear on the radio. Come see the show. Mm -mm -mm. It's rock and roll. Mm -mm -mm. You knew it. You've known it for years. You just didn't know what it was called. Right. Or where to find it even. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> so, and I understand that this was, this was a, a thought piece also. And I think it makes more sense if you kind of have a little bit of a description of what he was going for. And I guess the first impression is that it's the world has fallen apart and it's, you know, we're in the future now. And so, okay, 
Eh, I get that. I mean, if you listen, go back and listen to it again, okay, maybe I'm picking that up. And then now the second impression is that is, is kind of the exhibits that show you what the world used to be like, or right. the, you know, what only rich people can afford or something like that. Okay. So now I get your walk. You're now you're actually walking through this thing and seeing all of these amazing things that right. you can't find anymore in nature. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. Guaranteed to blow your head Right, because the first part was like, roll up, roll up, see the show, you know. We, we see a stripper in a till, what a thrill, what a thrill. You know, mm-hmm. with our hands behind our back, we'll pull Jesus from a hat, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're right, now they're in the future. And like, you know, come inside, come inside. There behind a glass stands a real blade of grass, you know, because mm-hmm. we don't have those anymore. I think the other thing, too, on this one that, that makes it, even though it's kind of out there, it sticks in your brain because he's rhyming all of these things, glass and grass. Okay, so it's it's easy to come back to or when you hear it on subsequent listens you it, it sounds more familiar because of the rhyming words even though it's kind of nonsensical what he's saying so i think that helps with memory retention and oh yes i know this song right performing on a stool we've a sight to make you drool seven virgins and a mule keep it cool keep it cool yeah yeah that sounds like <laughs> a carnival <laughs> Come and see the show. Come and see the show. See, that's the other thing. You hear Welcome Back My Friends to the show that never ends. Like that hits you. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool. The show never yeah. ends. And then we come inside, come inside, come and see the show. But they don't really listen to the whole, you know, performing on a stool, seven versions right. and a mule, right? Yeah. Like what? Huh? No, yeah. I didn't hear that. You know, Man, so, don't worry about it. We can we keep move past yeah. that. We're, we're come inside, it. come inside, right? It's all good, mm-hmm. you know. Great work by Keith on this one. Carl's and Lockstep. Yes, I it, it's it's nice to hear something that's familiar. I, I, I think that like if we do a Frank Zappa album or something one day where we know nothing, mm-hmm. like nothing, like we've at least heard this song. Right. This is familiar. This is like a foothold for us. Like, okay, I've never heard any of the rest of this, <laughs> but this I know this and I know a, what to listen for. This right? is a safe place. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exact mundo i don't know and and you know i guess people just realized hey this is actually pretty darn good right and this pretty is, catchy too yeah exactly this is good yep. stuff on it so we should we should play this on the radio and they have in america for a very 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 long time but I, you know it, it didn't really chart because there's nowhere to chart it was not released it's just one of those rock radio yeah. classics mm-hmm. and it's long too i can see why they why this would not have been a single i mean i what i'm guessing is that it just kind of caught on and yeah. that's why that's why people play that's why djs would play this because we did have carl palmer on the show famously last year and mm-hmm. he uh he talked about how look in america in the 70s you could get anything played on the radio <laughs> To understand that by the time you got to the end of the 70s, American radio was not like it was. American radio was an art form, and you could get anything played on American radio, and it was unbelievable. And English musicians used to just talk about, wow, over there you can get, you know, you can get a prog track played at in drive time, one o'clock in the afternoon. That to us was, you know, unbelievable. I mean, it was difficult to do that in the 70s here in the UK, but in America you could. At the end of the 70s, all of that stopped. 
it all went corporate and you know djs were told what they could say and obviously because this was played on the radio and became a radio hit even though it may not have been a chart topping hit it's a radio hit i think that's why he was uh why he was forced basically in asia to, to kind of cut everything down to, mm-hmm. to pretty pretty short but look i like it it's probably what helped sell it in america quite a bit although i mean i got a feeling that their live show is really what did it and their their next album was their first live album uh mm-hmm. which was or no it's, it's welcome back my friends to the show that never ends ladies and gentlemen so they toured on this and they made a live album and i think this went to number two this album in the uk this one or the live one this one this one okay. it went up to a number 11 in the u.s but the live album i think was number four or something like that in the uk and number six in the u.s so and that's the best they ever did so this uh this era is kind of the golden era i had uh i had those backwards it was number four in the u.s it was number six in the uk and it went gold in the u.s so there's back-to-back gold albums for these guys so i mean this is kind of the height of their power I would say, as far as sales go, certainly in the U.S. Yeah, and and probably in looking at this too, that the height of like prog rock in general. I mean, I think you were going to get. So what was the '73? I mean, you were going to have kind of the decline of this. Like it almost got too big to keep going. You know, with the they. I think they each had. I saw a um, video clip where they had like each Emerson, Lake, and Palmer had their own like uh, semi trucks with their <laughs> name on the top of it. I mean, the 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 amount of work that it took to bring this around. I think people just got to the point where they're like, we can't we really can't make a ton of money doing this we need to strip it down but yet that's what people were going to see was this giant over-the-top show yeah exactly and then you know you get to 76 77 all of a sudden punk is the thing mm-hmm. and punk was there to destroy stuff like this correct basically and i don't think they lasted i mean i think they broke up in 78 or maybe 79 something like that was their last Mm -hmm. kind of time together so it's i don't know if it was the writing on the walls look no it's all punk and what you guys do is tired or it's like you know what we've been doing this for a while and we've made some money so it's it's fine that we can go do other things now Mm -hmm. i don't know we're not elp experts we want to know everything but we don't and that's why we're doing this on first listen series so we can yeah. learn about stuff we don't know or or learn about stuff that you kind of know like i saw it over in the corner and i've been you know curious for a million years but like i said had we not done this i don't think i would ever listen to it. i would have never have sat down and said okay saturday afternoon boom i'm going to take my time and listen to this whole thing probably not probably not but then we would have missed out on some good stuff now look this carnival nine second impression it's an instrumental it's cool now look it's 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 an instrumental so it's not going to appeal to everybody mm-hmm. it's really jazzy at first right. to me you know first three and a half minutes or so and then at three and a half it kind of slows down yes and then there's this weird creepy sounds coming out of everywhere emerson is on his weirdo game again but then it ramps back up and becomes very classical so to music appreciators i think you'll really like this to rock and roll heads to hard rockers you don't want to listen to this (laughs) seriously but i mean if you can appreciate good music Mm -hmm. in all its forms i think you'd like it's seven minutes it's a bit of a listen but i think you'll like this one
Yeah, and I like the, um, I don't know, it sounds like steel drums. I don't know, apparently Palmer's 2000 or two-ton kit had a whole bunch of electronics that he could trigger also. So I don't know if he actually had real steel drums or if it was that was electronic, but that's what it sounds like to me. And you're right, at, at about the 330 mark, it gets it gets dark and almost kind of becomes, you kind of think you've changed into mm-hmm. something else, but you haven't. It's still part of second impression. And the, the note that I found is that this movement or this impression is now computers scheming against humans, you know, it's kind of to take over. So again, when I go back and listen to it with that in the back of my head, okay, maybe I hear that, you know, we're moving into Skynet taking over the uh, taking over the world here. Right, yeah, so we're more than 10 years ahead of Terminator, you mm-hmm. know, coming out, because that's really what when artificial intelligence kind of popped up on our radar, I would mm-hmm. say. Of yeah. course, now artificial intelligence is all the rave, you know, and they're, they're talking to us about how do we use artificial intelligence to make our podcast better, and and I'm like, yeah, let's just stay away from that for right yeah, now. I, yeah, I know how it ends, okay? So stop yeah, that. Exactly. I don't want to do that. But you're right. The third and final impression, which is fairly long here, it's it's nine minutes. It's the longest bit on the album. It is kind of all about the artificial intelligence taking over for the human intelligence. And you, you mm-hmm. know, talk about the guy on the ship is like, all right, well, let's, you know, let's let the... Uh, Let's let the uh, computer tell us something here. Right? <laughs> you know, let's let, let's see what he has to say. No man yields who flies in my ship. Danger. All right. Well, let the bridge computer speak. Load your program. I am yourself. And then there's kind of a fight mm-hmm. between the humans and the computer. No computer stands in my way. Only blood can cancel my pain. Guardians of a nuclear dawn. Let the maps of war be drawn. And there's some great musicianship in here. But then, you know, it's rejoice. Glory is ours. Our young men have not died in vain. Their graves need no flowers. The tapes have recorded their names because computers didn't have chips, you know, to to hold stuff the way they do now. It was yeah, all on tapes. Tape, yeah. And, so and that's all I could think of. <laughs> it's interesting to me too when he when Lake comes back in, you know, with uh, you know, rejoice, victory is ours. It it almost sounds like now he's his vocal styling now is like Jerusalem, like it's going back to the the kind of the hymn. So it to me that ties that part of the record into the beginning and the end kind of together. True, yeah, that's right. Kind of the beginning and the, the, the almost very like majestic, a reprise. Yes, yeah, correct. And hey, I am all there is. I let you live. I am perfect. Are you? Very interesting. And and considering the time we live in where AI is starting to take some things over, and it is probably going to be the death of all of us. You heard it here first. This is very prescient. Yes. And and it's cool because it's brand new to us. It's Mm. been around 50 years, but we had no knowledge of it. So to discover that they were talking about this 50 years ago, when yes, the big computers relied on all those tapes. I mean, I think the the first instance of a big computer I ever saw was in war games, right? The The Whopper. Whopper. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what you were saying that. I'm like, he's talking about the Whopper. He's talking about the Whopper. Yeah. (laughs) 
and all those tapes that would spin around and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's that's part of why the Moog, that Apollo thing he bought was the, a story and a half tall because yeah. to fit all these bits together, you would have all these cords and all this power and it's crazy. Now we have more power in our phone than he ever had yeah. in that Moog. <laughs> <laughs> it's true so it's it's quite an undertaking and emerson is voicing the the computer bit the technological computer voice that kind of talks back to greg lake that's keith okay and then the end you can kind of hear it. it's quadraphonic you can hear it it kind of swirls it goes mm -hmm. through circles in your stereo so if you had like surround sound it would circle around you which at the time was was pretty state-of-the-art and, and pretty cool yeah the the one thing it, the interesting part about this too to me is it just ends like it kind of has like a little you know it's at the computer comes back in it's making the beeps and squeaks there and then the whole thing just ends at the end of the record so it's like, is the computer dying? Is that its last gasping breath or whatever? But literally when that ends, I'm like, wait, is that it? Are we done? What's going on here? Like, I thought there would be a little something to come in at the very end to kind of put an exclamation point on this, but it just, it just stops. Yep. 45 minutes of weirdness and musicianship and stuff to piss off the British government <laughs> and all sorts of great stuff on there. So final, you know, your, your final evaluation of it. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. What do you think? I, I would I would say, okay, so it, it depends on what we're talking about. If you're talking about like, do, would I love to listen to this? Like, could I never, you know, or would I say, you know, I can listen to anything when we put this on? Probably not. But can I listen to it and appreciate the the songwriting, the composition, the musicianship, the, the vocal stylings? Absolutely. And can I appreciate how this kind of, this was one of the cornerstones that built on into the next generation of music and how it still impacts people today? Absolutely. But I, I really don't see myself ever saying, well, I can't, I'll listen to anything. This is the one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and I honestly, I, I bought an ELP best of. Mm-hmm set during the pandemic but other than that i've never really listened to a lot of elp mm -hmm. uh, I, I do i'm like you i can appreciate this and i appreciate their individual talents and how they put it together to make some stuff that not everybody could make but not all of it's very listenable and i certainly wouldn't put it like if you had people over to the house <laughs> <laughs> i Hold wouldn't even box, put it on in the music. background you know yeah, yeah exactly well because you know? because that's the thing it's not it's not background music like you can't you have to really pay attention to what they're doing and it, it takes a lot of mental capacity or it, it, not mental capacity but it takes a lot of energy to listen to this like it's not a light fair right no you have to focus there's mm -hmm. a lot to absorb but of course you know we never really had the chance to see them. I mean, I guess we did because they did get back together in the nineties, but still we didn't know anything about them. Mm -hmm. And then in about a year's time, both Keith Emerson and Greg Legg died. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt really bad for Carl Palmer at that time because it was like, okay, he's gotten kind of towards, he's obviously near the end of his career. He was 2017, 2016, 2017, but he's got two bands, Emerson Lake and Palmer in Asia. Mm -hmm. They can both go out and tour when they want to. You know, they can release a live album if they want. They've got all sorts of greatest hits and stuff like that. But Keith Emerson, sadly, took his own life in March of 2016. Uh, apparently, he had, I don't know if it's called dystonia. It was, it was some kind of odd disease. It was a little bit like arthritis, but it, it, it makes it very hard to play. Uh, and he was going to go out and do his final tour. And just the internet was awful to him. Like, don't waste your money. He can't play anymore. Mm. You know, stuff like that. I also think that he had had some alcohol problems and he ended up taking his own life, which is sad. It's a sad mm. way for him to go because he was so 
talented and, and a very special gifted composer and player and it's it sucks that he would just listen to all that stuff but then later that year december greg lake succumbed to cancer so okay now there's no more elp well at least carl palmer still get asia and they're touring with journey in 2017 back on top right no then john wetton dies in 2017 so within a year all three of those guys die yeah and carl went from having i got these two great bands and they're back together to like it's all kind of falling apart now i know that asia is still trying to go to get together in some way and carl mm. has done his own carl palmer's elp experience where basically and thanks to the trust i guess of of his former bandmates he can pipe in their music and he can play along to it and put some videos of them up live behind mm-hmm. him so now that i've heard this i'd be curious to see that I, I would be as well i mean to to hear it live and also to support carl because like you said he had that run of you know hey i got too much stuff to do oh mm-hmm. boy now i got nothing to do right I, I i would like to see him at least him play live yeah no I, i'll support carl palmer no matter what he does and i know that this summer he did a short run in america to, to kind of do that elp thing mm-hmm. i don't know if he'll do it later this year or he'll do it in 2024 or not who knows but it's cool that he decided to kind of keep the music alive working with the estates of both keith and greg and keep it going because once he's gone then then that's it you know and and there's no way for people to have any kind of authentic elp experience yeah which is which is too bad because going going through this i really am disappointed that i mean we were very little in 1973 extremely little that we didn't get to see this live because this this was one hell of a show exactly what they put into it what they did it's pretty impressive if you ask me not that anyone's asking but you know i'm just saying man this is this is really well done well composed i couldn't do it Mm -hmm. maybe you can't tap your toes to it but if you can appreciate musicianship and you can get beyond rock and roll which it's taken us a while to do if we listened to this when we were in college together we would have been all over carnival nine second impression and the rest of it would be like eh. But I, I would say if you are a fan of just rock music in general, you at least need to you at least need to experience this because it will give you an appreciation for what you can do with superior, I guess, skill and talent. And just that I don't know, like it's just it's just, there's just so much to digest. But I think you're you're really better off for it, listening to it, just putting in the time to listen to it. I think you will have a better appreciation. Yeah. And it's amazing. They got all the sound out of three people. I mean, mm-hmm. Gentle Giants got a lot of sound, but they've also got like six people or something like that on stage, right? I right. mean, uh, you know, Genesis has five, you know, uh, if not more sometimes. So, yeah, it's it's just three people. It's not like the police. Right. And I love the police. You know, Correct. they're awesome. But even Rush, I don't even know if can catch up to what ELP are doing right here. Yeah, it, it's not the same thing. And, and to to watch Keith Emerson back in the day, you know, jump leapfrog from different uh, different keyboards must have been something to watch also. Well, I hope you like our take on ELP's brain salad surgery. I hope you like this little journey that we're going on with this new segment called On First Listen. Like we always say, we want to know everything about the history of rock and roll, all the minutiae, every band, who wrote the songs, where were they recorded, what are the significance of them. And this is a blind spot for us. Everyone has blind spots. And Everson Lake and Palmer was one of them. 
even though one of the members of the band is one of our very favorite musicians of all time, you might say, in Carl Palmer. And it's something we've been thinking about for a long time, so we said, all right, let's do it. Let's pick some albums that we don't know, that people have told us over the years, this is great, this is a masterpiece, oh, you gotta try and check this one out, and we just never have for whatever reason, and we thought we'd start with Brain Salad Surgery as it's about to turn 50 here. And it's not exactly our cup of tea, it's not bad, like we said, we can appreciate it for what it is. It's part jazz, it's part classical, it's part experimental, part avant-garde, part comedy. But it's not something we're probably going to sit down and listen to quite a bit. I do think that having the Carnival 9 first impression part 2 being familiar from classic rock radio was a big help in a nice foothold, making sure we had some familiarity with the record, something we could hang our hats on. It's like, oh yes, I know what to listen for here. I know what this is. And my guess is not every single choice we make in the future is going to have that. I think this is something we're going to do several times a year, maybe once a quarter, something like that. And probably something that we will solicit feedback from you, the listener, on as far as what you would like us to go over. But it was fun. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad I'm familiar with this. It's not a total mystery to me anymore. Probably not one I'm going to listen to a whole lot, but I can appreciate the musicianship of Keith Emerson and Greg Lake and Carl Palmer. So we want to know, folks, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. You email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You let us know the bands, the albums, the DVDs, the concert, the books, the rock properties you want to hear us talk about. We want you to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Doesn't really matter where. And just do us a favor. If you're thinking about it, if you like the show, wherever you're listening, go in and give us a positive five-star review. It is huge for us and helping to find more rock and roll fans like you. Huge to help grow the show and get more guests on like Carl Palmer. Hopefully you heard the excerpt of him on episode 80, which we did last year. And if you like this episode, you'll probably want to hear that one as well. Thanks as always to Pantheon Pods, as we are a proud member. Check out PantheonPodcast.com, follow at Pantheon Pods, and be sure you go visit our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. I know they've got some great ELP stuff on there. I know they've got some Asia stuff on there. Power 3, Emerson Lake and Powell. Whatever you're looking for, go to RareVinyl.com, use the code UGLY, save yourself 10%, and they will ship it to you all around the world. Hey, guess what, folks? Next week is our 150th episode, if you can believe it. We've made it almost three years here, and it's been a real blast for me and Jackson to do these shows and to grow our community and meet folks from all around the world who share the interest and love and passion of rock and roll like we do. And so for 150th, we're going to have a very special guest on that we're incredibly excited about. No spoilers. One spoiler, we did review one of their albums. It is one of my favorites from the 80s, but that's all you're going to get. Okay, they're also on tour right now in North America on their latest album, but that's all you're going to get. So you're going to have to subscribe to make sure you don't miss that show. But until next time, to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.